This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we're going to talk about uh, some amazing stuff. And one of those things is that one of those things is that that we believe in this unlimited being and and which is pretty wild to have such a thing because you can't conceive of it so what do you believe in you know like you believe in an unlimited being that you can't conceive of because the human mind is always couched in some limitation anything you think about is a thing well if it's a thing it ain't everything it's something and so whatever we do think about it's usually something it's not all things and you can't think of all things and so here's a being that is not only he's not only is he not something he, you could say perhaps he's all things but he's not that either He's beyond all things. He created all things. He himself's not limited by any thingness, nor including all things. Not limited by any of that. So we believe in a being that you can't conceive of whatsoever. And any conception you would have of this being would automatically be wrong, because if you have a conception of it, well, it's not wrong, but it's like it'd be like you staring at the Empire State Building at one uh, pillar of it, at the you know the going from the bottom floor, let's say up to the third floor, let's say the corner has a pillar three floors and staring at it and you're just staring at it and someone's like what are you staring at and you're like the Empire State Building and they'll be like no you're staring at it three floors of a hundred story tower you know and, and so and that's your concept of God but it's way even worse than that because the concept you'd have is, is going to automatically be finite so any concept you could ever have of God is going to be finite just by you conceiving of it because a conception of something is this and not that. And we're, we believe in is a thing way beyond that. Now, why would we believe in something like that? Because if you can't think about it, you can't touch it, you can't smell it, you can't see it, and it, it's, un, it's not sensible, and it's, and it's also not something you can conceive of, why in the world would you believe in it? Well, I'll give you one reason why you might believe in it. One reason you might believe in it is because no one would argue that there, that consciousness doesn't exist. Would you all agree that consciousness exists? Kind of like Descartes, like I think, therefore I am, meaning that you're a conscious being. Would anyone argue that you're not a conscious being? Are you a conscious being? You know, the biggest materialist atheist would say he's a conscious being. Right? Anyone here to argue that you're not conscious? You're for sure conscious. Okay? So, okay, great. And where did your consciousness come from? Where does consciousness come from? Let's say you're a materialist evolutionist. Where does consciousness come from? So you'd have to say that it came from the immaterial. Did I say material? Sorry. That it came from the material, from the matter. Because if you want to say we're part of some evolutionary process, well, then something non-conscious, which is just matter. Matter's not conscious. This is not conscious. It's matter. So this uh, table here is not conscious. So if you want to say that non-conscious gave rise to conscience, that's, I mean, okay, nice theory, maybe it did, you know, but, but again, you're talking about matter giving birth to consciousness, and consciousness is no simple thing, and where are the steps that led to our consciousness, you know, where are all those being, you want to say the primate, primates aren't conscious, they don't have a sense of self, they have a sense of self-preservation, for sure, they have a sense of self-preservation, which works in survival and, and reproduction, they certainly know there's that them. They're in hierarchies, like every human being and every animal is in a hierarchy, and every plant. They're in hierarchies, but but they are 
but they are not conscious, not the way we're conscious at all, not even close. I argue that my subconscious is just an advanced form of self-preservation. That your conscious, your consciousness, that it's a, well, yeah, but they, let's say you did argue that, but then we'd want to see, well, show me a step in some kind of creature that has any consciousness that even <laughs> approaches or resembles ours. And the answer is there's nothing like that at all, at all. There's nothing there. Something caused an emergence of consciousness in, in us that has no predecessor. So you see, it's a pretty big leap. And every materialist atheist who thinks they're like Mr. Logical or Miss Logical are not so logical because, because they're, they're really going on a big leap. What's our, and what's our answer? What's the alternative? The alternative is, well, a higher consciousness caused our consciousness. It created our consciousness. Not that we emerged from material, from matter. Rather, a higher being caused consciousness to exist inside of us, which is exactly what the Torah says, that God blew a living soul into man. Yeah. Yes. There's a third answer that you just can't know where it came from. That you can't know. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of ends the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you can't end the discussion that quickly because there's just, it's not good to end it there because there, there's just so much more to it because they, once you have consciousness, well, then you start thinking about moral conscience and right and wrong and, and things get very complex and, and so you do have to act. You must do something every day and you're going to have to make choices and you have this voice saying one's good and one's bad. No matter who you are, you can be the biggest atheist in the world, you still have a body voice, and you have this higher conscious voice. The higher conscious voice wants to give. The body voice doesn't. You, you know what the highlight of my day was, by the way? Well, I already told you. I was mountain biking today, but I had another highlight of the day that was amazing. Was uh, We finally got a new door. We've, been <laughs> we've had this crazy door. Since I've owned this house, we've had a crazy door. It's just dysfunctional. But I don't know why we were so attached to our door. So we, we finally got rid of it. I think my, my, actually, my kids got rid of it when we were out of town. And uh, they b- bought a new door with my credit card. And so I woke up this morning to like, and you know, like hacksaws. And they're like taking down our door and putting up this beautiful new door. It's gorgeous. I'm so happy that we did this. And the guy says that some big rabbi told him a couple years ago when he was putting a door in his house that make sure whoever's house you go to to put in a door makes you ask for something to eat or drink. He's like, why? He says, because you must make a blessing in their house. You got to leave your blessing in their house, especially with doors. I mean, you're you're putting in their security system. You know, like give a give an give an added blessing to it. Because what good is a door for someone who really wants to get in? You know, what's, what's a door going to help? So make a blessing in their house too. Give the door, give a blessing. So he said, so if you don't mind, for my father and I, it's interesting, his father had a trach and had to press a button to talk to me, which, which was, uh, which was uh, just beautiful watching the two of them and how he would kind of help his father along. And, and the, anyway, the, um, he says to me, so do you mind making us two cups of coffee? We each like a teaspoon of, su- a teaspoon of coffee, a half a sugar, and a little bit of milk. Highlight of my day, that I get to be the coffee maker for the door door guy and there I was went to my kitchen and a teaspoon of this and a half a teaspoon of that highlight of my day 
was making this coffee. So then I go back in my room to get my off-road gear, and I'm coming out with all my padding and everything and, and the, uh, for riding, riding gear, and he sees my riding gear. And the guy goes, you're an off-roader? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'm an off-road. He pulls out his cell phone and his smartphone and shows me him off-roading in his Rubicon Jeep down really crazy stuff and riverbeds and big rocks and really great. And the guy says, I'm like totally addicted to off-roading my whole life. And I'm like, me too. He's like, how old are you? And I said, I'm 50. I said, when are you born? He was a Hebrew speaker, so was, he knew more of the Hebrew. He's like, May. Oh, no, actually April. I'm like, me too. I'm like, what day in April? He's like, the 8th. I'm like, me too. We were both born 51 years ago on the same exact day, and we're both addicted to off-roading. <laughs> they were crazy. But anyway, the highlight of my day was doing something good. Was turning off the voice of the body. That's the evolutionary side of me. That's the survival of the fittest and to hell with him. And make your own damn coffee, man. I'm going riding. You know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a, uh, what do you call those people from LA? It's, it's one of the 10 personality disorders. I'm a narcissistic LA kid trying to get to the trails, man. I'm not a coffee maker. You know, go to Cafe Aroma, mister. Find a Starbucks. But I put my body, my, I put that voice on hold and, and brought in a higher voice and made coffee. And I'm telling you, it was the highlight of my day. It was the best part of my day, being the coffee maker. This is another highlight because I'm giving this class. I'm giving a class. Big highlight. Think about it. You're, you go to sleep at night and sleep well knowing you gave that day. And ten times better you sleep if you got feedback. Which I'm always asking people, please send feedback. You know, like, like people, people think everything's fine with me. They don't understand. I'm also a person. I have down days. I can be trolled. I can be... Uh, who knows what I'm going through? I'm like a human being, for heaven's sakes. You know, I, I can go through my own hell. And, and to see someone send me a WhatsApp saying I made a difference for them is like... That's the difference between a horrible uh, between a bad day and a horrible day because the horrible day was going on, and the bad it moved up to bad with one WhatsApp, and it made a difference for somebody. But I think all of us should be making a difference till the feedback hits. Just a good measure, you know. It's nice to do a little something for somebody here and there. You feel better, but uh, but I think maybe the measure of it is when it's starting to come back to you. And also another thing, oh. Story in Europe, crazy story in Europe. So we're off-roading in Europe, and, um, and this, this, some guy, I guess he was fixing his tire, I don't know what he was doing, but he was sitting in the middle of the trail. And so, and so, you know, give him a chance to get up. But the guy in the front of our riding group was a little bit aggressive and a bit of a jerk. And I had noticed this guy in the last 48 hours had more things go wrong than is humanly possible. I mean, this guy's mazel was like minus 100. I mean, it just, if it could go wrong, it would go wrong. I mean, this guy, and he would also forget everything everywhere. And it was like, I, I'm not even going to go into it because maybe he'll watch this video. But anyway, so I was just wondering, like, how can anyone have such terrible mazel? And then, so the guy, the guy gets up because he realizes he's going to get hit by this guy with the bad mazel. 
he gets up, and the guy with the bad mazel rolls right over his glasses, his sunglasses. And mountain bikers and their sunglasses are, it's an intimate relationship. <laughs> we take our, our glasses pretty seriously, and they're now crushed. And, you know, he kind of reaches down and hands the guy his crushed sunglasses because he couldn't wait another second. And, uh, but then it all made sense. And then he looks back at me, and he says, you know, what an idiot he left this. I'm not going to use this superlative to begin with an F. Glasses on the trail. <laughs> I was like, actually, you're an idiot. And I didn't say that. But you're the idiot. When you roll over someone's glasses, you pull out 100 euros, or depending on the glasses, but as an instinct, and you hand him the money so fast that by the time the guy realizes that he just lost his glasses, he's already holding the money for the new pair, that maybe he would say, wow, now that's a special guy. And the stupid move you made wound up becoming a blessing for you because you took instant responsibility, like instinctual responsibility. Like you're so on, on point with you leaving the least carbon footprint as possible and the greatest fingerprints you want. What you want in this world is as little footprint as possible and as much fingerprints as possible, that you touch the world. And that what could have been a curse becomes a blessing. Anyway, <laughs> that's not what happened. And, and we saw so many other crazy things happen to this guy. I mean, it was, it was just insane. And... And for a downhill mountain biker, you know, you kind of want God on your side when you're a downhill mountain biker. It's not cross country. You know, this is downhill. You want really good blessings with you when you're careening down mountains. You know, you want good stuff coming your way. Now, back to our subject. Our topic is, is that the, is what made your consciousness and then, and you said, you could say, we don't know. But you still have to act. That's what I was saying. You have to act every day. You've got to get up and go. You've got to make those choices. And yeah, you could say, well, I'll just keep doing the ones that make me feel good. But it still doesn't answer the question. And we're here to answer questions. And the question is, where does consciousness come from? And so you have two chances. Two chances. <laughs> two choices. One is it emerged from the, from the material, from matter. Now tell me, I mean, you guys take a vote. Anyone here is a materialist? Do we have anyone here who's, or at least held by material philosophy at one point in life? I used to. I did. Yeah? Okay. Which, which is the right answer? Philosophically. I'm not saying we're going to figure it out. I don't know what the right answer is necessarily. But what's the right answer that, that consciousness emerged from matter untraceably. You know, it wouldn't make any evolutionary sense that we could meaning point to with evidence. But that or that this is super crazy and wildly creative consciousness of ours emerged from, sorry, didn't emerge, but rather was created by a being that's conscious. And obviously, higher consciousness than us. Because, oh, by the way, notice you can't make consciousness. You can make, well, you can't make matter either. But you can at least change matter from one form to another. I mean, you can, you can play with matter, 
you know, you can't make matter. And you certainly can't make consciousness. Can you make consciousness? Could you create consciousness? <laughs> so you can't. It's, and so therefore it's not really so creatable. But okay, you want to say that it emerged. Okay, something that advanced emerged. But the question is, and again, back to our question, and then you, I'll take you, is um, back to our question is, what's the better answer? That it emerged from material? Or is the better answer that a being that has the capacity of consciousness, way beyond ours, obviously, because we can't make consciousness, so a being way beyond our consciousness created, the, created our consciousness? Which is the better answer? First name? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Yeah. So not standing behind it as if I believe it, but I did study bioamp and uh, was quite into this. Do you, wanna, do, do you guys mind being on my live feed on Facebook and whatever? It's all good people. It's like, yeah, just double click the screen of the that one. It'll flip. Yeah, go ahead. Because well, being animated is very different than than the non-animate. Right. Uh-huh. If we would agree to that, right? Do we agree to that? Um, so, so that's a good question. If we agree to that, maybe I'll join you. No, I won't join. You. <laughs> no, he's got both cameras. We're perfect. Yeah, let's stay like this. So I'll stand right here. So we, we could agree to that, but um, but then there's the Torah pers- the Torah perspective wouldn't necessarily agree to that. Because the, which is really interesting, because Genesis goes exactly according to evolution. It was bizarre, you know. It starts with the inanimate, and you know, God created the heavens and the earth, and then next thing you know, there's vegetation, and next thing you know, there's fish, and next thing you know, there's fowl, and next thing you know, there's animal, and next thing you know, there's human. It's like it's like an evolution class in like secular studies. This the actual Genesis story is like an evolution class. Not only that, Pangaea, our tradition says there was Pangaea. You know what Pangea is? Yeah. The puzzle, the entire earth was one piece. We learned it from the Pesukim. That God created, uh, gathered the waters together and and created dry land. And that was Pangea. And that that was broken off into the seas. And that's a Torah tradition. Pangea is a Torah tradition. And Genesis is a purely evolutionary story. However, but now here's the point is that, but God did it. God did it. And he created the animated beings, and he created the inanimate beings, and he didn't do it evolutionary, even though we believe in microevolution. You know, we for sure believe in microevolution. You know, if, if birds are on a non-windy side of a building, you know, and they're going to do better there, you better bet like that's where the birds are going to be. You know, like, and they're going to do better, and and the ones that are on the windy side are going to have their nest blown to smithereens, and they're not going to do so well. We certainly believe in microevolution. Macroevolution is is not something that Judaism believes in, yet at the same time seems to be okay with an increment. Not in, in, first of all, we are okay with an incremental tradition, because, uh, in, 
incremental evolution of some sort. Why? Because the spread of days of those six days till man's on the scene, the spread of those six days has each day getting a new creation going. Now, don't forget the sun's only on the fourth day, which means when the word day does not mean 24 hours. Because 24 hours is the amount of time the earth rotates on its own axis vis-a-vis the sun. And if the sun's on the fourth day, that means we're definitely not talking about days. Rather, we're talking about epochs. And yet, thing, and things are getting planted evolutionary along the epochs of what God calls days. Well, who's God calling us something a day? Why is he calling something a day? What's, what's his day? And, the, and you, there's an answer for that, by the way. It's a crazy answer. You wouldn't believe it. And the math works, which is super insane, is that day is the edge of the expanding universe. I mean, think about it. What is the universe? You ever thought about this thought? It's a fun thought. What is the universe expanding into? Have you ever been really high and stared at the full moon and thought of it as like a door <laughs> to this world of light? Try that. So, <laughs> so, so the, but seriously, the universe is expanding. Like everyone's cool with that, except no one ever thinks about, well, what's it expanding into? I mean, if you could conceivably, which you can't, but let's conceive of it. Imagine, imagine you had a rocket ship that shot faster than the speed of the expanding universe, and you're in it, and you get to shoot to the other side. Well, where are you now? So, you ready for this? Here's the crazy part, is that the amount of time the Earth takes to spin in 24 hours, this is going to freak you out a little bit, the amount of time that the Earth takes to spin in 24 hours, when you get to the exp- edge of the expanding universe, that time, you know, similar to a wheel where the hub spins at one speed, you know, but the outer part, you know, spinning totally uh, slower, faster, much, much faster than the hub. So the same thing as the Earth does its spin, it's not like a wheel, because obviously there's totally different things going on, but from the edge of the universe, for every 24 hours, is from the edge of the universe, is several billion years. And here, you're, the, you want to know the crazy part is, is that six days is 15 billion years from the edge of the expanding universe. That is the math. You can read it in Bantam books. It's double and triple checked by mathematicians from all over the world. It is an incontrovertible fact that six days at the edge of the universe is exactly six days on. Our, this little ball we're on, you know, called Earth, which is really wild, and it tells in, in the exact order of evolution. Yeah, Yosef. Yeah, let's say God, uh, God is actually the one who created consciousness. How do you know that it's the, the Jewish God and not any other? Like, there's many gods. I <laughs> do you know it's the Jewish God. I was yeah, not I expecting that. The Jewish God is the belief in absolutely nothing, which is very interesting, and that's why we're so. Are these bothering you, these cameras? The Jewish God is the absolute. It is absolute nothing. Absolute nothing. Not the nothing of like, you know, there's nothing in this cup, you know. That's a different kind of nothing, because is there nothing in the cup? Linguistic nothing is not what we're discussing here. Is there nothing in the cup? No, it's full, it's chock full of air. 
right? That's linguistic nothing. The Jewish definition of God is absolute nothing. And absolute nothing means the absolute lack of all time or space, or ma- no matter whatsoever, zero matter. Which is what's really cool about that is it's the same God as the atheists believe, because they also believe God is nothing. It's only the believers who have these like cockamamie beliefs in, God, in this God. I don't know, big white bearded God. I don't know what's... And, and hence, they got to pull out machetes and every other kind of torture device to get you to believe in it and, and buckle down under their, under their belief and kill half the population of the earth for this God of theirs. And the, so the Judaism, no one's killing nobody. <laughs> if you kill anybody, uh, what are you killing, according to Judaism? Because think about it, before there was something, there was nothing. Nothing makes nothing. And so since there's something, it must be that nothing's God. And so, and so nothing is God, and God is nothing, right? And so, but if all there was was God, what did God use to create the world? He didn't go to Home Depot, I assure you. Yeah, he didn't go to Costco, there was nothing. So if all there was was this was some kind of consciousness that can create this world, including our consciousness, which is our subject, if all you had was this consciousness that could create this world, including our consciousness, so that means we're made of its, it, we're made of it. It's, we're made of its consciousness. One sec, one sec. We're made of its consciousness. So, so killing somebody is killing whom? God. This is why when I'm riding downhill and I see a line of ants, I bunny hop over them. This is why if I'm coming down some crazy steep thing and, and I see a rock in a really bad place that I will park my bike when I get down and climb back up a little bit and move that rock because some other mountain biker might be riding at dusk tonight and not see it whatever but I'm not riding by a rock in the critical spot like that and leaving it there is there no difference between the will of God and the essence of God big time majorly The will of God is something you can comprehend and the essence is something that's incomprehensible, I mean completely. And and the will of God is also quite presumptuous to presume you know it. And had there never been prophecy, no one would ever claim they know the will of God. And which is another reason why there's no machetes in Judaism. Why are there no machetes? You know what a machete is? (laughs) Machete. I would have thought it had Latin because he's from uh, Guatemala. Um, machete, how do you say machete? It's a giant knife that when, when I'm surfing in jungles, sometimes to get to a surf spot, we'll have this little Javanese guy with a giant knife. And he's just like, <laughs> like hacking his way through the, I'm sure they use machetes in Guatemala. So, so the, uh, anyway, machetes. <laughs> Why don't you need machetes? Like, boy, not only do we say God has a will, but we, we've, like, defined that will with thousands and thousands of laws. Fifth, Judaism has 613 hyperlinks. Judaism has 613 hyperlinks. But when you click on those hyperlinks, it takes you to the website where that hyperlink is, that mitzvah. And then it's got, if you add up all the, command, all the mitzvahs, there's 55,000 laws. That's a lot of hyperlinks. Sorry, that's a lot of laws. And it's very presumptuous to say, in essence, you can't know, you know his will. 
Hey, who are you to say you know what he wants? And the answer can only be one answer. One answer. And it's provably true as well, which is crazy that you could prove this true. But the one answer is prophecy. <laughs> yeah, Dev. That God, you know, you know what a power surge is? Like the, these outlets down here in this room, these outlets come out at 220, but the power hits our building at about, you know, probably 100,000 volts. And then it gets, hits a distributor to the 220s. And it hits this region of the Jewish quarter in the old city at, you know, maybe a million volts. And then breaks up to the different buildings and stuff, et cetera, all the way up till the power plant, which is pumping out, you know, millions and millions of volts to Jerusalem. A power surge is when one of those circuit breakers, they say circuit breaker, that one of those uh, transformers doesn't do its job. It, it, whatever, it failed. And it sent down a much bigger amount of energy than the next transformer could handle. And it blew, went to the next one, blew, blew until. You know, our, you see smoke coming out of here, and the, all these lights just go like, and like explode. But you know, they, today, our generation, they have surge protectors, and and the uh, and so it takes care of that. Now, the so we, if there was a power surge, we'd have a surge protector, so you don't have to worry about that. Now, the I'm not taking a question right now. I'm in the middle of explaining something. So, the. <laughs> Prophecy is when the prophecy is when a, when God messes with the surge projectors because we're ultimately just the experience of God's consciousness. We are we are and again I'm going with Judaism. We we are the we are an exp, some kind of an expression of God's will and wisdom from infinite into this finite world. All simulated, by the way. We, Judaism does not believe the world's real at all. Why do you think we cover our eyes when we say Shema? We don't want to see a lie. We're saying the truth. Like, now we're saying the truth. We don't want to stare at matter. Because we know that this matter is made of vibration. It's a simulation. We know this. And so we don't want to stare at it when we're talking about the oneness. Because think about, let's say, a vibration of... A is 440, 440 oscillations per second. This sound A, 440. And we're, we're now saying God is one. That's all he is, is one. Well, guess what 440 is? It's 440 ones. Every frequency. Every frequency is made. He is the, he is the, the, the number one within all things you know he is it's all of some derivative of that oneness of that vibration and and the and so prophecy is the only way that god can deliver messages to us now question has there ever been a tradition out there all those god believers out there that wound up you know causing most of the death and destruction of at least till this century this century, secularism created death and destruction, but but uh, all the other centuries where where deisms created all the death and destruction. Any of them ever claim prophecy? Any claim of prophecy? I'm not talking about the poetic, like a great teacher's a prophet. I don't mean like that. Any of them ever have a prophet? 
prophecy. Now, I don't want to start mentioning religions, but I'm not going to say them by name, but there's no prophets there. They might have been leaders, teachers, wrote books. No prophets. No prophets. Outcome, outcome, outcomes the enforcement. Now comes the enforcement. Now comes the power and the misuse of power. And I tell you, I, I, I want to puke every time I hear a debate online between an atheist like Sam Harris and a believer like uh, anyone, any of the believers that debate these guys. That they, they, that debate is is. The believer has no concept, or too much concept, of God. And had it been someone who was actually debating them, who's versed in Kabbalah, there would be no arguments. But as far as God's will is concerned, that is, that is either this prophecy, or we have no idea. Now, think about the alternative. Either there's prophecy, or we have no idea. Tell me, what does no idea look like? If we have no idea what God wants, like, okay, fine, there's a God. What does he want? What does he want? What's the world going to look like? Well, it'll probably look like all those religions in the end. People will just start making up what God's will is. It creates a great power base. Tell me, how are, how are the Jews at creating a power base? How are Jews at creating power? How about, how's horrible? I mean, you guys tell me. Today's rabbis, the top rabbis of our generation, the ones who know the most Torah, tell me, if they had a particular law that they were going to teach that was going to send half the Jewish people running for their lives, like, no, I'm out, man. But it's an actual Torah law. It's part of the prophecy from Sinai. Would they withhold that law to keep the Jews under their spell? Or would they keep teaching the law that would send those Jews packing? Which one? I mean, they'd probably stick with the prophecy. Yeah, they would just teach it. <laughs> they would teach it. Yeah, and, and that night, go to a banquet on Jewish continuity. And you'd want to, like, wring his neck. You're like, you're sending all the Jews for running for their lives with your laws. Do you know what generation this is? Just keep it to yourself, Rabbi. And then there's money. Judaism commands every person gives 10% of their income. To whom? Answer? Whoever you want. Whoever you want. You can have homeless people. You can have soup kitchens. There's no body. There's no, there's no central body here. No power. Zero power here. Zero power. There's some corruption, but if it's corruption, it's just some individual who's like, you know, God knows what he's doing, but it's probably just something stupid, and he's probably just paying his own bills, cutting corners and stuff, and who knows what he's up to, but certainly not creating a greater power base for the rabbinic leadership. What's that? Doesn't exist. So, so we, you understand, we don't have anything to do with any of their complaints. You, 
if Sam Harris can't seem to mention Sam Harris can't seem to mention religion without self-effacing because he's a Jew our people with a mention of slavery that Judaism condones slavery and it's like like Sam if you know nothing about Torah which he doesn't if you know Zippo about Torah and I don't know maybe flipped through it once and saw the word slavery in there but if you know Zippo about Torah don't bring an attack against your own people using the proof that well, what kind of God, if you believe in God, what kind of God would allow slavery? Everyone doesn't like slavery. Except what? He's totally playing with everybody. First of all, he has no idea what slavery means in the Torah. He's playing with everyone's ideas of like, of like white, man, white colonial American and Europeans ripping Africans out of their homeland in chains. And then, and then, and then, beating him half to death, if not to death, to compliance. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's not Torah. I mean, how, can, how dare you mention slavery without, without qualifying what the Torah means by it? And, and who says you're not enslaved? Any of you guys work for a living? Someone here work for somebody? You work for anybody? You, you have a job? No, no. Anyone here have a job right now? Yeah. yeah, you work for somebody? Do you own your time when you're working for them? Not at all. Maybe that's what the Torah means by avdus, that you're now working for somebody. Your handiwork's theirs right now. And do you think Judaism has a couple laws about how you treat people who work for you? You betcha. Who do you think eats first? If it's dinner time, who gets fed first? They do. Who gets? Who gets? If there's one pillow, who gets it? They do. Even if it's not Jewish. What? Even if it's not Jewish. Yeah. Anyone who's indentured is uh, taken care of like that. And, and uh, there's a lot more detail to know about that, but like, it, it's really, and, and if you think I'm like whitewashing it by saying it's like working for somebody, I'm not. We once lined up kibbutz life next to the laws of what you have to do to take care of someone who works for you. Which is, but the Torah's definition of someone who really, like you own their handiwork. Oh my gosh! Like you'd way prefer slavery to to kibbutz. I mean, it is like the the Torah makes it so not um, advantageous to own someone's handiwork because of the level of responsibility that it comes with, how, how accountable you have to be for this person. And you injure him even a little, he's free. And you, and you knock out his tooth by accident, by accident. His tooth gets knocked out. Up, oh, free. What do you mean he's free? I knocked out the guy's tooth. What do you want from me? You know, or, or he got his tooth knocked out. What 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 I do? You know, no, now he's free. Shouldn't have happened. Like you gotta like treat these guys with kid gloves. Certainly not a proof that there's no God. My goodness, you know, not a proof there's no God. That's just emotional argumentation. 
It's not intellectual. Now, back to us. Which is the better answer? Okay? That was a very long discussion off your point, but I hope that was meaningful to you, what I spoke about since you yeah. mentioned well, that. I, I still would like to at some point, if a misclass or another, get back to the idea of um, emerging consciousness, which is why. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm still... But, but you're still on a... I'm still actually there now. No, I'm going back. Okay. I'm going back. Yeah, I go back. I go far away and then I come back. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like mountain biking. <laughs> so, so what do you guys say about these two choices? Now, you ever heard of something called Occam's Razor? Yeah. How do you define it? Someone want to give a definition? The simplest explanation is the right. simplest explanation is usually the right one. Tell me which one's simpler. Which one's simpler? Ma uh, consciousness emerged from matter. And again, don't forget that we with consciousness can't create consciousness. Now we're saying matter that isn't even conscious created consciousness. That's like pretty big, pretty big, bold statement. Okay, that's one. Which one's, which one's going to be more Occam's razor? That, that a or a conscious being created our consciousness. And by the way, if you think about it, our whole discussion for the last half hour has been all about the fact that before there was something, there was nothing, except for consciousness that created this world, because nothing makes nothing. So, right, if nothing makes nothing, and now that there's something, it must be that nothing was God. But what is God? God's not made of anything. So the answer is God's made of consciousness. But again, which one's Occam's razor? That's my question. Which one's Occam's razor? Ma that consciousness emerged from matter, or a higher consciousness made consciousness. I want to give her a chance and then we'll go. Yeah. If a mom has a kid, is that matter creating consciousness? Because like the kid's mind is being created by itself. Right. So what we've been discussing is not mind. We've been discussing consciousness. So like even primates have minds. But a mom doesn't create the kid's consciousness? Not at all. No, all she does is the, the actual brain itself. But consciousness is not in the brain. Where we don't know, doesn't show up in MRIs. That's for sure. We have no idea where consciousness is. The brain reports to it. Like right now, I think we're all aware we're in this room. So it's but but there's an awareness of your awareness. Are you all aware you're in a room right now? Everyone aware you're in here? Okay. So you might be in a car, by the way, if you're listening to this. But they, but you're aware. You're aware. So there's two awarenesses. The one your mom made was the one that's being stimulated visually by you being in this classroom. And the, your chair, you realize you're sitting in a room. Okay, That one your mom made. That's the awareness of you being in a room. But then there's you being aware of that, your awareness of that awareness. That's the consciousness we're discussing. That your mom did not make. And nor does it take place in any space or time. And we also happen to know that nothing made something. And nothing making something means that, that nothing must be conscious. I mean, it has to be conscious. Because it would have stayed nothing. Obviously, it had some kind of uh, agenda here. You know, to suddenly make something. You know, it shows a lot of different things. One is it shows, um, it shows uh, intention. Because it should have stayed nothing. So obviously, it intended for there to be something. So it shows intention. Also shows ability. Can you stop cracking a couple? Also shows ability. 
got ability. Would you guys say it has ability? Expanding universe. Okay, but but think about this one. This one's really cool. Oh my gosh, I just Nathan? Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Almost lost it. It also not only is creating an expanding universe, what is expanding universe create it causes more and more chaos. Yet this world has and if you know any physics, there's a lot of order, which is really hard to explain, but there's order. Because chaos, meaning if, if God just caused an expanding universe, well, we're certainly not going to be here. But because there's order, we're all here. If God were to remove order, which is, there's a name of God that's order, by the way. They, all the names of God, just, just to teach you that, all the names of God are verbs. They're how God interacts. So the name Shin, Dalit, and Yud. Shin, Dalit, and Yud. You guys know that the word Shin means? It's a prefix. She means that. It's a prefix. That. And Dalit and Yud, which means, is the word in Hebrew is Dai. What does the word Dai mean? Enough. That it's enough is the order name. If God were to remove the name Shin, Dalit, and Yud from this classroom right now, we'd be in a blender. If you removed it from our creation, we, the whole solar system would blend and out of existence. All the order is created with Shindal and Yud, and all the expansion is created with the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He, which is just a verb. I mean, think about the letter. You, you know the letters? Letters, you know? Yud? You know the letter Yud? No, I don't. Uh, but they, the four-letter name of God, what they call the Tetragrammaton, when you read English Kabbalah books. Where they got that name, Tetragrammaton. But they, it's the name we use for God. Simply as was, is, and will be. In other words, beyond space and time. That's the expanding name. That's the name that causes the expansion. I'm not, I'm not going to go deeper into it if you don't know the letters of why it's the expanding name, but it's fine. Now, Occam's Razor. Yeah, so which one's more Occam's Razor? That's my question. Yeah, Nathaniel. So I hear the argument. You still playing with the cameras to get other views and stuff? Yeah. I hear the argument that Occam's Razor would suggest um, like a divine input from this conscious being. Um, but I would think typically with like an Occam's Razor scenario, we're looking at a circumstance where we're familiar with all of the inputs. And so. Yeah. But even that, but you being aware of your body is also pretty darn conscious. Sure, but we could. It's not like I don't think it's that big a jump between you and what they would call Adam. He's maybe got more more. If you put on a spectrum, maybe Adam had more usage of that consciousness to all the way to the point of just total divine consciousness. I generally do. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but, I, but, I, but I've been simplifying as just your awareness of your awareness. Mm-hmm. So you're totally aware of your awareness. Yeah. You agree? 
Meaning, for example, you're touching your chin right now. You're, you're, that's stimulating, and your brain is aware of you're touching your chin when you do it. But there's a you that's aware of that. So that's the consciousness. So which one's Occam's razor, Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I hear where you're going with that. Because we're familiar with mechanical. Right, right. So you, you, could, you could say it's beyond the realm of, our dis- of, of intellectual or philosophical discussion because it's just not, we're not holding there. We're not there to, to, to be able to, you know, really discuss it much because we just aren't, we, we aren't familiar with such things. But I think that I think that if we can have some things that we do posit that, for example, we are conscious, I don't think anyone argues that, um, that consciousness can't create consciousness, meaning you can't create it, and therefore it must have been created because it's not... So is that, is that step a proper step? Yeah. Right. To make things, but we don't know how to animate them. Yes. Um, we can make molecules move, but right. Right, we can make them react to things in a uh, biochemical fashion. Right. We can't make them. We can't animate them. Right. Um, but then, I mean, there's the issue of viruses. Um, and like a, yeah, there's some interesting things there. And all of biology has some crazy stuff. Yeah. You ever you, you ever studied into uh, plastic surgery, like where um, uh, skin science, like uh, wounds? Mm-hmm. You ever study that stuff? That's crazy stuff. Yeah, what, what the the stuff that heals a wound doesn't exist inside of you until the wound. Mm-hmm. So I was writing with I was writing with an atheist who's the head of. Uh, He's the head of plastic surgery in Ain Karim Hadassah. He's a, mount, a mountain biker. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we were riding together once, and he's a, uh, how you doing? We were riding together once, and um, we were discussing it, and because I had, I had learned, uh, probably on YouTube, I don't know what, that, um, that, the, that there's, there's things in our skin that don't ex- there's things in your body that don't exist until you get cut and then they come to like put you back together and so you, he said to me he said to me listen my job and think of this like Ang Karam's like you know that's where the worst stuff goes and he's the head of the department and he he said um, he says you don't yeah, this is my field like you have no idea how far it goes this rabbit hole of the body making stuff that doesn't exist in the body until the wound. And, and I was like, so I said to him, so why don't you believe in God? You know? And his answer was, 
And I have two answers, one I put in his mouth, and the other one is the answer he gave. His answer was, I prefer to leave it a question mark. <laughs> and the answer I put in his mouth was, that's because you're Jewish. You see, if you're a Gentile, obviously there's a God. Because things are coming, things are emerging out of non-existence in the moment of the cut. Maybe not the very moment, but within the hours ensuing. They're emerging. And, uh, and, but if you're Jewish, that means that, like, you have to figure out what you're doing this coming Shabbos. If you're a Gentile, it doesn't mean really much at all. It just means, like, okay, you know, I guess maybe there's some meaning to this whole thing, you know, which is pretty big, and it's a plus. But in Judaism, it's a massive liability. You understand? Like, weak, a Jew can't truly be intellectual in these discussions. You understand? Like, you're, you, a Jew can't be truly intellectual in these discussions because there's just too much to lose. And once you've got one side of the discussion of God, no God, weighted like that, and you just got everything to lose, and you—it's a whole lifestyle switch and shift. And and human beings aren't good at lifestyle shifts. I mean, ask anyone married for 10, 20 years. I mean, they—you know—you're married to that same person. You know, like, like you, you don't hold your breath for them to change. My goodness, they are not going to. You know, and and they, they we're just not good at shifting. And and the and. If you're Jewish and having a discussion, a philosophical discussion about whether there's God or not, like, well, there better not be, man. You know, there just better not be. And and this is one of the things. I just I, can I share something personal? So when I showed up here in Jerusalem <laughs> many years ago, the uh, it was in the early '91. The uh, when I showed up here, the. Um, All I saw was liabilities of the choices of the people who were here. It was Asia Torah, actually. And I was like, these guys, there must be something wrong with these people. And certainly not very smart. Because anyone thinks for a moment is not going to believe in something immaterial. Why would you? And, and, and especially why would you if it comes with a ton of liability? So I figured these guys are just merely idiots. Except I had six weeks to be here. And I went on to lose I had probably about ten debates in a row. Saw the sunrise six nights in a row. Because who could sleep? These discussions had to be had. They had to be had. And, and I was like, you know, like the left-wing atheist millennial type guy. You know, I thought marrying a Jew was racist. And... You know, and certainly thought Israel was like an apartheid state or something like that. You know, I would have for sure been a BDS. You know, had that existed in my day, I, I was I was the equivalent of a BDS because in '91 the the U.S. was protecting Israel with their Patriot missiles during the Gulf War when the Iraq sent 39 Scuds to Israel, and I was protesting. I was a very outspoken war protester, protesting the U.S. involvement in the Gulf War. And they're protecting Israel. Like every Jew in the, in the country was rallying for the U.S. involvement in the Gulf War. And I was protesting on campuses. 
So I get to the, I get to here, ready to meet all these idiots, and I and I had no intention even to come to here. I, it was a free ticket. I just took the free ticket because I had to go. I was surfing in France, Spain, and Portugal that fall, and so I took a free ticket over the summer. And but I lost my first ten discussions, like like hands down lost. Wouldn't admit it, but I lost. And and saw the sunrise each night. But it was really interesting to me is that was how smart they were. People here were smart. They were really, really smart. And I was expecting them to be really, really dumb. But they were really, really smart. And and, and not just the rabbis. We're talking about the type of guys that were being attracted to this place were were from really good families with really good educations and and really good futures that they somehow sacrificed. I mean, all of these guys would have wound up being very rich. By the way, a lot of them wound up being very rich anyway because they, after a couple of years of paying their dues being rabbis and stuff, like, you know, you catch up with them 20 years later, they're in like $150,000 Audi. And I'm like, well, what's up? It's like, I was a rabbi for 10 years and I'm an investment banker. You know, that's what I was trained in anyway. And I still have a ton of people at my Shabbos table. And, and you know, what do you want from me? You know, I paid my dues. I gave back. You know, and the... Uh, anyway, but these are the guys I met. And whoa, was I impressed. And surprised. And, 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 it, and it gets even worse because... It gets even worse because their closest... The, the thing that bothers us about lifestyle shifts is... Uh, I'll finish the personal part in a minute. The thing that bother, that the worst part about lifestyle shifts is that is not the change. Like, if you if you won a billion dollars today in a lottery, you think you would have a bit of a lifestyle change? You have a massive one, and you'd love every minute of it. We're, our issue is not lifestyle changes. Okay? The issue is, really, is our peer group, the people who give us who we are. I mean, who are you, really, if not who other people say you are? You ever thought about that? I mean, when you leave the house each day, are you really who you are, or is it going to be a, a a composite of interactions? You know, who you are, your identity is really a, a negotiation that's happening throughout the day. And because if you really strip it all down, you're really nobody. No offense, but think about it. You're really nobody. Let's take uh, two of us for example. I'm, I'm having fun with Nathaniel, Nathaniel today, but. Uh, you mind if I keep having fun with you? You're kind of the guy drawing my class today, so I'm just going to keep going with you. So, so um, you know, you could do a split screen for this. Do you have that technology? Yeah. Later when he does his edit. But if you, um, if you, you and I are obviously different guys, right? I'm a little fair skin. You're a little olive more skin. You have blue eyes. The mine are quite light, and um, and we're, so we're obviously different people because you're there, I'm here. I mean, that's enough. But do also you have your narrative and I have mine. You grew up in your house, East Coast. I grew up in West Coast. I had my siblings and the sibling order I was born in. You have yours. What number kid you are? Saying I'm third, and and then a big part of your narrative is all the stuff that happened. Because the stuff that happened to you didn't happen to me. And the stuff that happened to me didn't happen to you. Right? But what if we stripped all of that away? We stripped away. Strip away the body. 
strip away the background, you know, family stuff. Strip away the narratives of things that happened to us that, you know, shaped our personalities as they are today. If you stripped all that away, what would be left? And I want you to look me in the eyes right now. Just two of us looking at each other in the eyes. And shining your consciousness, because you got, you admit you got it, I got it. Shine yours towards me, mean mine towards you. And stay totally locked on. I'll be totally locked on with you. It's the same. Our consciousness is the same. If you stripped all away the, all the stuff on it, it's pretty amazing. We share it. It's a shared thing, and not only do you and I share it, but all people do. And and if you go into Judaism, it's saying, obviously, Judaism saying that a higher consciousness created the consciousness. And in fact, even the material's consciousness, because it's all a simulation of the consciousness of this being. So we're all we're inside this conscious being. It's living through us. It's kind of living vicariously through us. And that's what's vivifying you. Because it doesn't show up in MRIs, but yet it seems to be alive. So, so where's its energy coming? Where's the battery pack? And so the answer is it never left the battery pack. It's always connected to that consciousness. And it lives through us. And it's just living its this story. And now, now add your story, because you have your story and I have mine, and our sibling order, our families, and everything that ever happened to us, and all our resources, and all our lacks, and add all that and you realize that God's living through each one of us this this story through our consciousness and this is why when you do the wrong thing even though I'm going to go to everybody now even when you do the wrong thing yeah you're you're messing yourself up but to God it's in he's cool raise your hand everyone raise your hand everyone just raise your hand just to get it loose first of all because you're all just sitting there raise your hand just to get loosened up okay now put it down and get ready to raise it again Raise your hand if you ever thought of doing something wrong. That to you it was wrong. Meaning you just felt this is the wrong thing to do, but you wanted to do it. Okay? And now raise your hand if you did it. Okay? Raise your hand if you did it. Okay? We all did things wrong. If you, did, if you ever did anything wrong, your hand should be up. Okay? Okay? Now, raise your hand if God didn't stop you. <laughs> raise your hand if this couldn't have happened if God didn't actually create the entire thing, including the desire to do it. And all the circumstances and your success in having completed the wrong thing. Okay, you can put your hands down. You start to realize that God's like way beyond what religion says. You understand what religion's been calling God all these years? And just like that, like I don't think that exercise was 20 seconds. Okay, maybe it's 30 seconds. And you already know that this ain't the God of religions. You know that. Whatever that God is, it ain't the God of religions. And it's living through you. And it's interested very much in the negative emotions that come from bad choices. Because there is a growth that happens there. Something happens inside of you where where you're like, hmm, that hurts. I don't feel good about myself right now. And juxtaposed to when I do the right thing or make a cup of coffee for a guy or move a rock from a trail something 
juxtaposed to doing the wrong thing, Jesus. Feel differently as a result. And what if everybody had that? What if the whole world had that? What would our world look like? And you start to realize that this giant video game of consciousness that this conscious being seems to be interested in, and who knows how many more he has, you know? Because think about it. Like, I know you think our universe is big, but how many could there be? I mean, there, there could be a 10 of them, 20, 100 all going on at the same time within the mind of this being because I mean think about it he's feeding ants right now in the Amazon who are having some delicious dessert of some fruit that fell off I don't know what fruits they have down there but some papaya on the floor ground that got too heavy and ripe and fell and now all the ants are eating it and they're having their own little kiddish over there and Meanwhile, there's some aardvark going like, I'm famished. You know what an aardvark is? It's an anteater. An aardvark's famished, and God's like, well, you're in luck. Yeah. And he even enjoyed a little of the, the papaya juice on this ants. Ants basted in papaya juice. And, the, and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All this is going on while meanwhile your own life has been completely and totally orchestrated at all times think of the orchestration I mean it's insane it's insane the orchestration your life is so orchestrated that have you ever thought about this your life's so orchestrated that it's hard to imagine that some of the people who get orchestrated around you actually have free will Ever notice sometimes someone will just pop up right at the right time for you, right when you needed it, and it was like, boom, like, does that guy have free will? Does that lady in the airport have free will to have just shown up right there, right then? I was like, whoa. And we have these, we forget these stories, we really should be writing them down. My wife and my trip to Europe just now, we, we did log the crazy stories, just for fun. And by the way, I'll give you a little hint if you want to have more of those. Make less plans. You want to you see God's hand? You want to see orchestration? Stop orchestrating everything. You know, buy the ticket to the country you're going to and drive into the town without a place to stay and let it unfold. Watch, watch the magic. Anyway, but God's playing this game with us and who knows how many other universes are out there because if he can handle an ant kiddish while orchestrating your life to the point where you, it's hard to even realize how the person who popped up out of nowhere in one of your situations had even free will because there's no reason they should have even been there except to help you. And so, but it, plus a million other things that have happened in your life that, like for example, how you've developed into who you are which also answers suffering which is the biggest discussion. You know, that's a whole other subject. But now we've got, we already have an answer for suffering. What's the obvious answer for suffering based on everything we've said? Is you're inside some story here. You're in some, you're in some crazy beyond story. And it requires great limitation to be interesting. Can you imagine getting rid of all limitation? How interesting would that be? Imagine no limitation, nothing to triumph over. You have children and they're all perfect. And they, their skin doesn't cut and their bones and their 
muscles don't bruise and their bones won't break and they're and they're uh, uh, what's the highest IQ possible? Is there a highest? Is there a number for highest IQ? Is there? There's no, oh, so let's just say the ceiling is 300. And they're all 300, so they're going to do great in school. Like, they're impervious. They're impervious. There's no limit. Wouldn't that be great? So you could sleep at night about your kids? Yeah, except there'd be no one, there'd be no one to love. Because you've got a, a, an automatron. We're all inside this story of limitation built by an unlimited being. And the limitations are of the suffering because it's, it hurts. Some people are deeply limited and, and suffering terribly. And, but they're going through it. They're putting their best foot forward all the time. And we love those people. We love them. We love stories about them. How many times do we get WhatsApps or whatever, viral whatever, is of stories of triumph? The no-legged guy riding his bicycle with his hands up the Himalayas. and you know We love that stuff. We're not asking where God is. God, an infinite being, unlimited, created a world of limitation, put you in it, created the whole thing out of his consciousness so that you can navigate through it with your experience of your own consciousness, which he's living through you, to triumph over your limitations that don't exist anyway because we're all inside God's consciousness. Which, you know, Have you ever noticed? Like, I'll give you another one. Everyone loosen up your hands again real quick. Just get it loose. Okay, but don't raise it unless it's true. I only want truth here. Raise your hand if you ever wanted something badly. Okay, keep your hands up. Okay, keep your hands up if you got it. Okay, and anyone who put their hand down, just think about something else you wanted badly that you didn't get. Okay, yeah, I mean, you don't win every time. Sometimes God saves your ass and makes sure you don't get something that's going to be bad for you. Now, for all of you, you can put your hands down. For all of you who got something, it's not statistically possible that this room that now has some, uh, you know, I don't know how many people we have here, but like uh, 15 people. It's not possible that everyone had that happen. Unless, of course, the limitations are fictional. Because an infinite being has no limitations. He's causing all of this to happen gave you the concept of limitation. But when you add the ingredient, listen carefully, when you add the ingredient called rutzone, because what did I say? Has any, have you ever, what? Wanted something badly. When you add the ingredient rutzone, it causes the, ma- the, the virtual simulated matrix of the physical world to break up and let you in. It causes the molecular world when I say molecular, I'm talking about malachim. It's all the beings in the parallel realms that create this world. It causes the molecular world, which is all these parallel worlds that create our world because God has to create the limitation. It causes the molecular world to conspire to your will and make you succeed. It's not even real, the limitations, because you're inside the mind of God. And therefore, anything you want is yours. You've you got to want it badly. That's the ingredient. You've got to really want it. And by the way, really wanting it will create ingenuity and good thinking and a good path and plan, and, and you'll often get it. Now, you want to hear something really interesting? Limitation is how this world exists because God creates the world out of light energy. 
which in Kabbalah is called Or, Or Ein Sof. Creates a world of light energy, and then he filters that light energy, just like I'm filtering light here to create an image. He filters that light energy so that there can be matter. And where does he filter it? Through the parallel realms. That's how he does it. There's these parallel realms that create our realm. Limitation. Now, think about it. The more filtered it gets, the less light it has, the more dark it is. And that's the definition in Judaism of evil. Religions have a definition of evil that's some like separate entity. It's like some dualistic thing, like this evil is coming to get you. Yeah? Not Judaism, once again. That's not Judaism. So don't have discussions about that with atheists from the religious perspective, because you're going to look like a fool. Talking about the devil. Some entity called evil. No. The further you get from the light, the further you... That's what is the definition of evil. I mean, it's just further from the light. Closer to the light is good. Further from the light is evil. Well, how do you have a body? Because the light's filtered out. Your body also has a voice. Feed me. You know, (laughs) hey, there's a lost wallet. That might have some money in it for my body to buy more food so my body can survive. But you also have another consciousness that wants light and wants to do the right things and wants God and wants to find the owner of the wallet. So you're inside this balance. But people have too much limitation. This is what I wanted to teach you. Is people have too much limitation. I didn't want to just give that definition of evil. And we're going to finish with this, by the way. That people who have too much limitation and not enough vision of what we spoke about today. Meaning people really, you know, you want to talk about limitation, how about, how about being raised in an abusive household and becoming emotionally handicapped by the time you're an adult? How about, how about uh, moving on from there to having to make it for yourself and finding yourself in the wrong circles, doing the wrong things, which, as we spoke about earlier, messes up your mazel, and now you're a big target for bad people. And I told a story earlier how just everything went wrong with this particular guy who, who had felt what was expedient was more important than what was good. He was letting his body run the show. And we just kept watching everything go wrong with this guy. But what happens is that if you have enough limitation in your life like this scenario I'm describing, I'm not going into gory details because I just don't feel like it, but we've all heard of people like this, is you can get bitter after a while. You get angry. You can start to believe there's no light at all. I mean, there's no God that's causing the light. You can get atheistic. You can get nihilistic. You can get... um, vindictive about and start calling hierarchies which exist in every anywhere you look you will see hierarchies and start calling it patriarchies and tyranny tyranny and become a become another you know person waving a banner against tyranny which you should know by the way the the uh, the people you're championing are sick and tired of it there was recently a poll taken that the the only people who are interested in such things are the 1%. The baby 
you know, the, the, the baby tyranny, who are now in some Ivy League school, who are the next tyr tyrants, who are now protesting probably on some campus now this morning in some Ivy League school against the tyranny of the hierarchy. <laughs> but of course, once they'll be 40, like, a good percentage of them will be millionaires. And will be the tyrants. And, but anyway, a poll came out recently that the, a lot of these minorities that they're championing are just sick and tired of this whole discussion. Like, leave us alone. Stop putting a, You know what it's like? Uh, this probably won't sound good. It's like human shields. <laughs> Not a nice connection, obviously, but in a way it is. And it's just coming from... You know what it's coming from? It's coming from the bitterness of atheism in the intellectual world. And it's being propagated by professors who should be grateful for their jobs. They got the most cush, protected jobs and lives that any human beings ever had in the history of the world, and they still got to try to tear down everybody who actually works. Not talking heads, but actually out there using their brains to figure out or bodies to make some money without a lot of protection. But the uh, but it leads to evil, meaning people eventually get bitter and they can get vindictive and they can get violent and they can get cruel and they can shoot up a school. And if they get enough power, they can cause horrible death and destruction in whole civilizations, as we've seen in the last century in the secular movement. An unlimited being causes the world through limitation. Light has to become matter. Well, you're going to have to remove some of that light to get matter. And we are raised in this consciousness, in this video game of our lives. Making choices. But there's a lot of limitations. And we can turn what's called limitation. If we want, we can give it another spin and call it handicap. And then we can get bitter. And we can take God out of the picture. And we can get evil, and really evil, and start harming others as well. Misery loves company. And then there's Occam's razor. And there's Occam's razor. There's three options. I'm going to close with this. There's three options. Option one is that the world made itself. And somehow there's some things we just don't understand, properties that cause the emergence of stuff that makes zero, zero sense and, will, and seems to somehow cause its own self-destruction when you get into the nihilism that it that it always leads to. It is antithetical to human well-being to think in these ways. But philosophically, you can play that game. And if you're Jewish, you want to play that game because otherwise you've got to figure out what the hell you're doing next Shabbos. And, that, and what you're going to eat when you're traveling in Europe. My goodness. What my wife and I went through last week in Europe. The truth is it was fun for us, but... You know, we, believe me, when we came back Friday and had Shabbos dinner, we were looking at each other across the table. Our kids made the meal. We weren't around. We flew in on Friday. And we're eating our you know, hot chicken soup you know, after days of 
eating, you know, cold cuts. <laughs> and we're looking at each other across the table going like, this is good. But, you know, we, we traveled Europe with, with nothing to eat, no restaurants, no hot food. We did bring a couple of noodles to cappuccino shops. Like, do you mind just filling this with some hot water? No. <laughs> so I could pretend this is hot food. Anyway, these are the choices, and I hope I laid it out well. Did I articulate this pretty well? I think I did. I hope I did. <laughs> and uh, anyway, but I, I, my dream is that is that the way it was articulated is easily articulated by everyone, and and that and that our world, our, this experiment video game we're in, can come to the point where people don't say I'm suffering so bad that I want everyone else to also. But rather, I'm suffering so bad because I'm part of some bigger plan that we'll never understand, but obviously some consciousness made mine. And so I'm in some story here, and this narrative is playing itself out, that if I keep doing what's good, at least in my eyes right now, I feel better, and it creates betterness for the world around me to the point where the whole world will right itself. And this giant video game of gods will come to goodness and that is if there's any definition of a messianic era I believe that's a good one thank you you made my class <laughs> that was amazing obviously in a true discussion we You'd be giving back every other line. I mean, so, like, but I, I'm supposed to be teaching the class. So like, yeah. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.